This episode contains adult language and topics that may be disturbing for some listeners. Such topics include suicide, drug use, physical or sexual abuse of a child. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Grant. And I'm Erica. And this is From From Crime Crime to to Crime. Crime. Welcome back to From Crime to Crime. Hey, dude, you feeling better? Finally, yes. <laughs> we had the last couple of weeks of COVID through both of us, but we did it. We're done. We sound normal. We've all gone back to work. Everything's looking good. Yep. Everybody's negative. Finally. Yeah. So let's get right into this episode, though, because I'm pretty excited about it. This episode starts in March of 1977. So Glenn Campbell's Southern Nights was numero uno. The rhinestone cowboy himself. Yeah, which is way better because last week I ended up looking up the song, even though I said I didn't. I looked it up after we recorded, and it was Florida Georgia Line. Ugh, I know. I'm glad we didn't look it up. I know. I was like, ugh, gross. So, For anyone who doesn't know, our official from crime to crime stances, Florida Georgia Line sucks. Oh, yeah, we hate them. So, <laughs> 100%. Now that we've offended all of those people. Yeah. Well, that's okay. That's a hard no yeah. for me. <laughs> Yeah, I'll second that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we're going to go to Ohio in this episode. So Circleville is a little town 25 miles south of Columbus. And the population now is like thirteen or 14,000. But when this story takes place in the late 70s, it was like around eleven or 12,000. So pretty small town. Very small, definitely. Yep. So in 1977, the residents of Circleville started receiving threatening and frankly kind of rude anonymous letters. The letters contained information that was sensitive and sometimes was only known by the people getting the letters. Like it had secrets and stuff they didn't really want spread around town. So this was kind of the part that I got a little confused about was I thought this was just about who we're going to talk about next, but Mm -mm. this was happening to... Different, many different people, right? Yeah, tons of people in the town accusing people of affairs, accusing them of crimes, domestic violence, like all kinds of stuff. Really kind of heinous things, too. Like, yeah, you know, not just like, hey, I saw you jaywalk. It was like, hey, I saw you cheat on your wife, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, Damn. How did, how'd you see that? Yeah. So by the time this case comes to an end, there was reportedly over like a thousand of these anonymous letters. Oh, crazy. Yeah. So one of these residents that was receiving these letters was a lady named Mary Gillespie. Mary was a school bus driver in Circleville, and she's married to a man named Ron, and they have two young children, a son and a daughter. Should be mentioned, too, that they were uh, high school sweethearts as well. Oh, I didn't read that anywhere. Yeah. Interesting. So... In March of 1977, she goes to her mailbox and gets her mail, and there's an envelope in it that has no return address, but it's postmarked from Columbus, so just like 25 miles away, and it's addressed to her. So she opens it. Inside, she finds a letter that's written in really, really interesting block letters that are kind of slanted slightly to the right, and this is what the letter says. Stay away from Massey. Don't lie when questioned about knowing him. I know where you live. I've been observing your house and know you have children. This is no joke. Please take it serious. Everyone concerned has been notified and everything will be over soon. The fuck does that mean? Yeah, <laughs> like, it's, it's kind of awkward. Ominous. Yeah, it's really ominous and just obviously kind of threatening. 
Yeah, it's a little bit threatening. And Massey is the school board superintendent. His name is Gordon Massey. So this letter is weird, but she does know Gordon Massey. She works for the school district. It'd be impossible not to know who it was. Right. But she didn't know what to do with this letter because it doesn't really, it just says stay away from Massey. It's like, okay, well, he's my boss. Like, I can't really stay away from him, so I don't know. Although, how much does the superintendent and the school bus driver interact, you know? I mean, small town, so maybe a little bit more than most, but... Yeah, but I'm sure not directly. Right. At least least not a lot, I would assume. Right. So she doesn't really know what to do with this letter, so she just kind of tucks it away and moves on with her life. But the letters don't stop. The second and third letters that she gets start to get more and more threatening and angry. The letter writer starts talking about her bus route, her bus number. They accuse her of having an affair with Massey, which is why it's like, stay away from him, because the letter writer thinks she's having an affair with Gordon Massey. Right. And they tell her that she needs to come clean about it to the school board, and even threatens her young daughter if she doesn't do it. I think that's exactly where the line is drawn right there. Like, totally. Don't, don't you dare. <laughs> yeah. So the third letter did have a return address, though. It was the home address of Gordon Massey. Which is really obviously strange. Like, and it's so subtly, like, horrible. You know, yeah. like, it's, yeah. it's not in your face. It's like, hey, by the way, uh, I know his address. Exactly. And turns out Massey is also receiving letters about his affairs, not just with Mary, but with other bus drivers, other employees, very threatening letters to Gordon Massey, you know, saying like, you need to come clean. I'm going to have your job. I'm going to go to the school board. You need to go to the school board, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then he's not the only one getting letters. The school board's also getting letters. So he doesn't even give anybody time to come clean. But so here's the thing that I never really got. Was Massey actually this kind of a guy or was he just being accused of it from everything I've read and researched and all that stuff he was not he was just being accused of this oh okay so I kind of thought it was he probably was or at least had a reputation of it Mm -mm. and so it was kind of like shooting fish in a barrel like yeah everybody's you know slept with him Right. No, I don't. From what I've gathered, no. It seems like he was married, had kids, like that wasn't a thing. But after the letter started coming, then people assumed this affair was real because that was the letter writer's whole intention was to try to get people in trouble for things. And so anyway, still with all these letters coming to her, to Gordon Massey, you know, the school board, everything, she still decides not to say anything about the letters to anybody, including Ron. Her husband. I got to know, what's your opinion on that? Because I have my own. But as a woman to your husband, what's your opinion on that? Oh, no, I'd show him right away. Yeah, right? Like, that's the thing to me that kind of goes like, hey, maybe there's something to this. Although your personality is not one to keep things quiet and under wraps. No. If there's something, something weird going on, you want everyone to know. Um, but I can't imagine a situation where like I would if I got this, I'd be like, hey, by the way, got this. Not true. Can uh, let you know right away. Yeah. But I also feel like your relationship with your wife and my relationship with my husband, like my husband's my best friend. I tell him everything. So if I got that letter, he'd be the person I would tell. Like, look at this letter. What the hell does this mean? You know, yeah, like I, I kind of feel that, too, because I'm not having an affair. It's like I'm for sure telling you about it. Like, <laughs> and that's the thing that gets me. It's like. I mean, if I was to get one and I was, I'd be like, uh, we'll just, yeah. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Maybe if the affair was real, I might hide (laughs) it. But yeah, exactly. But otherwise, like, 
Yeah. I would be like, hey, I, I know I. I'd run to Christine and be like, hey, I didn't do anything. Here's a letter that says I did. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. You know, <laughs> don't you'd, don't go anywhere. You'd be like, here, this is for you. You and Erica figure out what to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Absolutely. I yeah. get bills and I hand them to her. If I got something like that, I'd be like, hey, this is for you. Can you call Erica, please? Because <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be involved with this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's exactly how it would go down. Yeah. But it, that's not how it went down with Mary. She decided not to tell Ron. I guess worked out okay i mean she was just hiding the letters until ron started getting his own letters which accused mary and gordon massey of having an affair and they told ron that he needs to kill mary and gordon before they decide to kill him so ron of course confronts mary and is like excuse me are you having an affair with your boss and are you guys gonna kill me or what's happening yeah what's going on here yeah i'd like to be on i'd like to be in the know here yeah so Mary and Gordon deny all the allegations of the affair. They're like, this is not true. You know, none of this is true. And this is when Mary finally tells Ron about the letters that she's gotten so far. And Ron seems to believe her. They go over it. They go to the sheriff together and report the harassment. He seems to believe her. I get it. And I would want to do the same. But I mean, it really does make her look suspicious that she mm-hmm. didn't tell him. Like that just yeah. doubly kind of makes it be like, hey. Yep. Well, were you like there's got to be that kind of you know sliver of uh doubt in his mind totally but then then again though you don't know what's going on in their life like you know everybody's got problems and yeah. yeah and everybody's got problems and things going on and i feel like back then i don't know why i feel like this because it's probably not true but just from like movies and stuff i feel like people were not as open in their marriages as they are now like th- is that Talking about like swingers no no <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm talking about like telling each other things and opening up about their feelings and what they're going through. And like, I feel like people got up and went to work and they raised their kids and then they just said goodnight and went to bed. Like, maybe that's just all they show in movies, but I don't know. No, I don't think so. I mean, there's a huge wave of, you know, kind of destigmatizing those kinds of things. And that's the mental health talk is, you know, like, hey, if something's going on, talk to each other about it. So I don't think you're wrong. I think that it just wasn't the norm and it kind of had to become the norm. Yeah. And that's what I think. Like, maybe that's part of the reason why she didn't tell him. Because maybe back then it was like, hey, you get up, you go to work, you deal with your kids, you do this, you do like, I don't want to bother my husband with this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So. I guess you're right. I, I was kind of looking at it from like a, you know, a different lens, I suppose. But OK, I can yeah. understand where you're coming from with that. Yeah. So anyway, like we said, Ron seems to believe her. They go to the sheriff together. They report the harassment. And then more letters start to everyone, like the entire town starts getting letters. Of like 12,000 people, like <laughs> there's literally that many letters going No. Out. No, but a lot of people are getting letters, like a lot of people. But it's no longer about their gossip and drama and stuff that's going on in their life. It's all about this Gordon Massey and Mary affair thing. The letter writer's like obsessed with telling everybody about this. Yeah, super strange. Yeah, and it doesn't just stop with letters. Pretty soon there's homemade signs and posters all around town about it. It got really bad when the signs started accusing Ron and Mary's young daughter, like really young daughter, of also having an affair with Massey. Right away, I mean, that right there, That's it, this is inappropriate. It was inappropriate before, but like, yeah. again, you've majorly 
crossed the line. Mm-hmm. So Ron is fed up, and he wakes up early every day and drives around town picking up these signs about his daughter before he goes to work, and he's, like, at his wit's end. So every night, somebody presumably is putting these up at night, and then he wakes up every morning. It's like each other's routine, like... Oh, yep. yeah, I wake up and I put up signs, like derogatory signs. Ron comes by and, you know, cleans them all up. Yep. Wow. So Mary and Ron start to, like, put their thinking caps on, and they think that they know who is sending the letters. It turns out that they think it's a man named David Longberry who had, like, put the moves on Mary at work. He was also a bus driver, and she had rejected him. So in her mind, she's like, this is the only guy that I think it could be. Like, he put the moves on me and I said no and maybe he's upset about it you know yeah so they invite Ron's sister Karen and her husband Paul Freshhauer over because they're all like good friends and they sit down probably around the kitchen table drinking coffee and they (laughs) tell them what's been going on you know because they're close with Paul and Karen and they're like we need your help we want to like what should we do so the four of them together the best plan that they come up with isn't to, like, hang out around town and try to catch somebody putting signs up or anything. You know, their best plan that they come up with is writing letters themselves and sending them to David Longberry to tell him that they know who he is and to stop this stupid fucking letter-writing letter campaign. I have opinions about that, and yeah. none of them are great, yeah. honestly. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a real dumb idea. But... Paul, the brother-in-law, writes the letters, and they mail them, and surprisingly, it works. The letters stop for a little while. So, but, okay, so this, and again, did does David Longberry, does he not bring this up at work? Like, do like is this not talked about? I've never heard anything about it, and I've always wondered if he's like, hey, what the fuck, didn't do this, or if yeah. he just, like, kind of took his licks and kept going like seems like he just took his licks and kept going because the letter stopped i don't think either one of us would just be like oh someone accused me of something hmm didn't do it moving and moving on i think we'd both have a pretty strong opinions about that yeah so the letter stopped for a bit but then in august of 1977 so a few months later mary and karen the sister-in-law and a couple of their friends are on a girl's trip to florida and ron is home with their kids when he gets a phone call According to his kids, this call pissed him off. And when he hung up, he grabbed his gun and his car keys. He kissed his daughter and said he knew who the letter writer was and that he was going to go confront him. And runs out the door and gets in his truck, takes off. Talk about a lawless land, man. Just, uh, I know who it is. Grab my gun and I'll see you later. Yeah. Well, this person's been terrorizing his family for months. I know. So just a little while later, Ron is found a few miles from his house in his truck. He had missed a turn on a familiar road and crashed head on into a tree and he wasn't wearing a seatbelt. So unfortunately, Ron did not survive this accident. That just doesn't seem to add up, you know, like, no, it just doesn't it doesn't make sense for Ron to to, although when you're blind with rage, you know, I mean, I guess anything is possible. Yeah. And at the autopsy, it was noted that his blood alcohol was 0.16, which is like twice the legal limit. Yeah, that's very high. He, I mean, mm-hmm. but as you know, we know that doesn't make sense because Ron wasn't a very heavy drinker. Mm-mm. But and even to that point, too, his daughter who kissed him before he left, she said, like, I don't think he was drinking. Like, I think I would have smelled that on him, especially yeah. if he was that drunk. And, right. you know, she was like, no, nah, I didn't do anything so it's 
all of this is very just, it doesn't add up. It's very suspicious. It is very suspicious because he also knew the road super well. And it was a clear and dry night. So missing that turn is weird. He knew that road like the back of his hand. Like he would have known that, just instinctively would have known that curve was coming. No, I get what you're saying. The only thing that makes sense in my mind is he was just so furious yeah. Although if he was in fact actually drunk, you know, like, yeah, maybe that's another way. Yeah. Maybe that's why. Yeah. So the sheriff also found his gun in the truck that he grabbed with him before he left. And there was one spent shell and then the rest were live rounds. So a lot of people take this to mean that he fired a shot from the time he left his house to to the accident. But they've never been able to prove that. Like they've never found a bullet some somewhere or anything. Nobody ever heard a shot. Nothing. So and probably, probably then you wouldn't be able to tell, like from ballistics, like when it was shot. Now they'd probably be able to tell, like, oh, this seemed to be shot around this day or whatever. But I don't think they have that kind of technology then. No, and that, like I said, there could have been a spent round in that gun from he could have fired it at a tree in his backyard or a squirrel or something totally. a couple of days before. So I've never heard if they tested his hands for gunshot residue or anything like that. So. It took a while, though, because of all the question marks in this case, but eventually they do rule his death an accident. The sheriff's name is Radcliffe in this county, and it took Sheriff Radcliffe a while to rule it an accident, but he finally does. Yeah, but they ruled it an accidental, like, drunk driving accident. Yeah. But again, like, that part doesn't make much sense either. Like, he's not a known drinker, and to drink that much, that's a lot. I know. Although I will say he wasn't a very big guy. He was like 5'7". Yeah. And he weighed like 160. Like, I don't know how many, like how many drinks that would take to get to that when you're... I mean, it wasn't like he was six foot nine, 300 pounds, you know? Right. So I'm not sure. But it is, it is a little sketchy. And we don't get a lot of clarification on that. Like, that's pretty much just it. It was an accident. Totally. Yeah. So for the next few months, the letters turn to the sheriff actually, accusing him of covering up Ron's death. And in these letters, he doesn't say that he killed Ron. He implies that Gordon and Mary somehow set Ron up to be killed. Sorry, I'm just thinking about all of this. Yeah, like how that would even work, because it doesn't make any sense. Like, I don't... Right. Mary was in Florida. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what I was doing. I was like, okay, so like Mary's in Florida. Ron, okay, yeah. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't make any sense at all. Like, just kind of grabbing at straws. Yeah. Until you know actually what happened in that accident, like none of it, it doesn't make sense for it to be an accident. It doesn't make sense that he was set up. Like, I still don't get it. So the sheriff doesn't either. So he still rules it an accident because he's like, that's it. I don't have any besides these creepy letters saying that he was killed, but not saying how he was killed. I have nothing to go on. So this is a tragic car accident, you know, and that's how he rules it. And everything quiets down for a couple of years, actually. In that few years, Gordon and his wife divorce. I don't know if it was over these rumors or just whatever, but they get divorced. And Mary and Gordon actually start dating for reals, even though they're still both denying that they had an affair. Yeah, I know, which is crazy. And are they just saying that like through these letters that brought them close together and then he was divorced, her husband's dead, and they just kind of... yeah. That's what they say. They say that they were spending more time together t- because of the letters. Like, look, I got this letter. What does your say? That kind of stuff. And then that just led to them spending more time together, I guess. But all right, they're still both denying that they ever had an affair when he was married and her husband was still alive. Well, it definitely doesn't look good for them now. No, it does Let's not. Let's just say that. 
<laughs> yeah, not telling about the letters first, and now this, like, yeah, it's not good a good look for either one. No. So then the letters start telling them they've ruined both of their families already, so they should just run away and be together. It's like, what? <laughs> well, that's great advice. We're already doing that, so thanks. I know, but it's like you've been so against them being together for years that you started this crazy letter campaign, and now you're just like, you should run away and be together? This is so random. Yeah. It, well, it already doesn't make a lot of sense, but... Yeah. So at this time, also, there's letters to their children, which, like we've talked about, is super inappropriate. By this time, Mary's daughter's like a very young teen. Yeah, like 13, I think, right? Yes. Totally inappropriate to be sending any of this stuff to children. So by 1982, the letters are still coming, but everybody's just ignoring them. They're like, this is just part of our life. We get one of these shitty letters every once in a while. We just ignore them. Can you imagine a life like that? Just like, oh, cool. Here's the creepy anonymous letter writer. Oh, yeah. Mary and Gordon still have an affair. Nothing new. All right. Honestly, I actually can because I've thought about this a lot and I don't think this campaign would work on me because one, I don't check my mail. So (laughs) I would never open anything if I didn't know who it was from. Like, what? I don't even open half the shit I get anyway, and I know who it's from. Oh, are you kidding? If I got it, like, Never. A, like unaddressed envelope, I'd be like, hell yeah, finally something good in the mail. Never. It would go right in the shredder in my house. Oh, my gosh. Not I, I'm a pretty scary, like, I'm I'm, I'm not a scary person, like, raw. I'm, I'm a pretty scared person as a whole, yeah. and I would be all about that. I mean, I might be a little bit afraid of anthrax or something, but... Yeah. Um, I just don't, I don't even think about mail. I don't know why. I never have. Like, nothing ever good comes in the mail. Like, I just don't deal with it. Like, Matt will leave for work for, like, a week, you know, because he travels for work sometimes. Right. He'll be gone, and he'll come back. He'll be like, babe, you really didn't even bring the mail inside once in a week? I'm like, no, I don't even think about it. Yeah, Christine's on the same uh, path you are, because when I was sick with COVID, I'm generally our mail getter as well. And I was like, <laughs> hey, have we have we checked the mail? And she went and like pulled out just a week's worth of like a stack yeah. and starts like, you know, going through it and this and that. I'm like, where, where have you been? She's like, oh, I forgot. And fair enough. I am the one that goes and checks it. So I get it. Yeah. I just don't care about it. Like it's not, it's never for me. And the stuff that is for me is always junk. So it's like, I don't, I don't even get bills in the mail. That shit's all paperless. So it's like, I don't have any reason to check my mail. Ever. I still do check my mail. I get I have fun with it. No one ever sends me anything, but when they do, like I super really enjoy getting things in the mail. So anyway, so like we said, by nineteen eighty two, the letters are still coming, but everybody's just ignoring them. They're having an affair, blah 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 blah. He's divorced and she's a widow, so they just ignore these letters. They're like, We're not even having an affair anymore. So well, at all. They don't think they, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're still saying it, not at all. But at this point, it wouldn't even be considered an affair. So Right, they're allowed to do it. Yeah, so they just ignore these letters. Later that year, through the letters, they warn Mary that the signs are going to start popping up again, which haven't happened since before Ron passed away, like five and a half or six years before. So by 1983, the signs do start again. And they seem to be aimed at Mary's young daughter, who is in middle school by this time. And the worst part about this, though, it mentions her by name, which, oh my gosh, middle school is hard enough. Yeah. And they're vulgar and inappropriate and, like, sexual in nature. 
So it, this is bad. Exactly. And that's what I mean. Like they're vulgar, they're sexual, yeah. naming her by name. Like yeah. <laughs> I have a middle schooler. It's a hard enough age. You know, we, yeah. they don't need anything else added on. Yeah. And they're on Mary's bus route. So when Mary sees them, she stops and pulls them down, you know, because she doesn't want this shit about her daughter up where everybody could see it. But that that's what makes it even more like, I don't even, I'm not I'm blanking on a good enough word for this, but like, it's on her route. Like, yeah. this person is watching her, knows her, knows her movements, you know, right. like, that's crazy. Yeah. So on February 7th, which was a Monday, 1983, there's another sign. It's disgusting. It's about her 13-year-old daughter. So she slams on the brakes, pulls the bus over, goes and rips it down. But when she does, she realizes that it's attached to a string that's attached to a box and like another board. So she just grabs the entire thing and gets back in her bus, finishes her route. And when she gets home, she opens it up and she had to like really try to get it open because it was like all glued and screwed and everything shut. It was like really tight. Well, hang on. So she's on the route. She finishes her route. Yeah. Does that mean that there were kids in her bus when she pulled over and stopped? Yeah. Not saying she shouldn't have. I'm not judging her for that. Just no, I'm there, pretty there sure were. there was. Yeah, I'm pretty sure okay. there was. Yeah. Okay. So the string is attached to the sign on one end, and then when she gets the box open, the other end is attached to the trigger of a pistol inside oh, the box. Man. So essentially it was like a poorly designed booby trap that didn't work. This is why I asked about the kids, was yeah. because obviously I knew this part. I didn't know about the kids, but... Had this booby trap gone off, I mean, it's already bad enough that the bus driver has to stop, pull the sign down, whatever. Like, but yeah, but then there would have been a bus sure. full of kids without a driver. She would have been exactly. Yeah. Not only that, would have seen this happen. You yeah. know, they're probably looking at her like, "Why is this crazy lady stopping? What's and, going on?" And this is seventy-seven, so no cell phones. So they oh, would have just none. had to hope that the person that came up on this scene, like, Ugh. knew what to do with a bus full of kids that was just traumatized. Yeah, it was horrible. Oh Luckily, none of that happened. So, because this booby trap was poorly made, so it didn't work. But obviously, Mary takes it to the police, and they were like, um, "This should have worked. <laughs> like, this was definitely yeah. designed to kill you. Like, somehow, it just didn't work." So, the serial number was filed off the gun. But the police were able to get it anyways. Like, they were able to send it to their lab and pull the serial number. And it turns out that the gun is registered to Paul Freshhauer, Karen's husband, the brother-in-law. The ex-husband at this point, yeah. Yes. Because the year before, Paul and Karen had divorced. So Paul and their daughters were still living in their family home. And Karen and their son were living in a trailer on Mary's property. Oh, wow. So what the motive would be for Paul... Being the letter writer and the person who set this booby trap, though, is kind of baffling. Like, he has no reason to be the letter writer. But Karen, his ex-wife, says that she thinks he is the letter writer. She tells the police that she had found other copies of the letter in their home over the years. And she gives the police all this information that she thinks Paul is the letter writer. Which is crazy, too, because from my understanding, Paul really respected Ron and... And Mary's relationship, he thought that they were like the the top couple or whatever you will. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So the police check into Paul a little more and they check his work schedule and they find out that Paul wasn't at work the day the booby trap was planted. Oh, God. But he does have an alibi for most of the day. So mm. 
then they ask him about his gun because they're like, well, why the hell is your gun in the booby trap? And he admits that it's his gun, but says that he hasn't seen it in a few months. And when they ask him why he didn't report it missing or stolen, because he said that he thought his son had stolen it. Or actually, he said he thought a family member had stolen it, but kind of implied that it was his son. Yeah, and his son's not living with him at the time. So, you know, probably isn't talking to him every day because clearly there's some bad blood there. Yes. So they do handwriting analysis on Paul, but they screw this up pretty badly, like pretty royally. Yeah, they really did. Yeah, when they're taking the samples, they give him the letters to copy. So that's not how that works. No, he can make it look similar or different on purpose. Like, that's so... It's so dumb. Like, why yeah. would why would you hand this guy that? You're supposed to dictate what you want them to write as the sample, not show them. Because like you said, yeah, they could either subconsciously, they could try to copy the letter and make it look the same. Or now they have the letter in front of them to fuck with their handwriting to make sure it's not the same. You know? Yeah, no kidding. Like, oh, I did that there? Okay, I'm going to not do that there. Exactly. Like, God. So, so the handwriting kind of is janky, but Paul consents to searches of his house and his car because they're looking for anything that connects him to the booby traps. Any of the like ingredients or what am I? What's the word I'm looking for? Like, uh, it's not ingredients. I know. Um, <laughs> like any of the parts, it, like like the rope yeah. and the wood and the whatever the box was. Like they were looking for any components. Sim- yeah, components. That's what I'm looking for. They check on, they do all these searches and they find nothing. Absolutely nothing that connects him to this booby trap. But he's arrested anyways and charged with attempted murder. And in October of 1983, he goes to trial and he pleads not guilty. And his lawyers argue that he has no motive to do this, which he doesn't. I mean, there's no clear motive on why he would do this. Right. And that the only person with a motive would be his ex-wife. Ron's sister. Yes. Because if he goes to jail, she gets the house and the kids and every you know, they're going through a divorce. Right. Everything goes back to her. Exactly. That's pretty much his argument is like, she's the only person with a motive to make this look like it was me. Uh, but this would be such a long con, though. This would be such a long ex- like reason to make this happen. Would it, though? Well, yeah. I mean... We're already at what six years of of this? Like, is yeah, that... but there, but he's not saying that his wife is the letter writer. He's saying that the wife is framing him for the attempted murder and framing him for being the letter writer. Oh, I've missed that in everything that. Yeah, I the letter writer exists, right? But Paul's saying it's not him, and his ex wife is just conveniently framing him for this booby trap that didn't work. So that he could go to prison for being the letter writer and for the attempted murder. Does that make sense? Man, this story's better than I thought. Yeah, it is better than I thought. Yeah. But eventually, the jury comes back with a verdict, and it's guilty. And Paul's sentenced to 7 to 25 years in prison. Which, let's talk about that, too. Like, that's a weird thing. 7 to 25? I mean, just the parole board gets to decide that? Yeah, based on your... Is that... Is that still a thing that we do today? In some cases, yeah. There's a range, like... You could get this many to this many years. Yeah. And then it depends if you're like a model inmate and you show remorse and all this, you know, then maybe the parole board lets you out. But if you don't, they keep you in. I get what you're saying. So everybody thinks their ordeal is finally over after all these years because Paul's sentenced to prison. Everybody's like, okay, he was the letter writer. Because if you think he's the murderer or the attempted murderer, then you have to think he's the letter writer. Yeah. Like I did. Yeah. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was the whole point, though. But after Paul goes to prison, the letters never stop. And they're still postmarked Columbus. And Paul is incarcerated in Lima or Lima. I don't know how you say it. I imagine it's Lima, like Peru. I think it's Lima, though. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, good. You're very on top of the, the know, pronunciations really... of <laughs> of words like that. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll go with yours. We'll just go with he was incarcerated across the state, like 200 <laughs> miles away from Columbus. Just move on, just move on from it. Yeah, we're just going to blow right past that. <laughs> so, I mean, he can't be sending the letters. So the sheriff thinks that he's writing the letters and then sending them to somebody and that person is mailing them from Columbus. So he calls the warden and they lock Paul in solitary confinement and they monitor him super close. No pens, no paper, no mail. Like they make sure that he's not writing any letters. This guy is so pissed. Like he's already saying I didn't do this and now he's in solitary for something he didn't do. (laughs) (sighs) It's a lot. And the letters don't stop. They still keep coming. Yeah, exactly. So he's real pissed. Yeah. And even one gets sent to Paul in prison, and it talks about how he was set up and when you're going to realize you're not getting out of there and, you know, like, Totally. So this makes some people think that Paul actually might be innocent, but others think that he just had an accomplice that was sending the letters still. But either way, Paul ends up serving 10 years of this 7 to 25 year sentence before he's released. If he had an accomplice, wouldn't that mean he would have had back letters written for this? Like he would have had letters already prepared mm-hmm. in case he did get arrested? Yes. That's a lot of planning. Yeah. And we'll get into that too because one of his kids comes forward and says that she saw him pre-write a bunch of letters before he went to jail. <sighs> oh, jeez. But there's some issues in this family because rumor has it that this whole divorce thing was over some domestic violence issues and that he was pretty abusive. So, like, his kids and his ex-wife has have a reason to hate him. Yeah. That's, yeah. No, I get what you're saying. Yeah, they do have, like, a reason to try to set him up or hate him. But also, it could just be that he did it. Because the way Paul kind of like presents it, the theory goes that his son stole his gun and then Karen set him up because he was abusive. He was an abusive husband and father and they all hated him. So this theory does make sense because Paul didn't really have a motive that we know of. And there was another bus driver that witnessed a tall blonde man driving a yellow El Camino parked in the same spot that Mary found the booby trap just a little before Mary found it, like the bus driver that was on the route before her. And that man was never looked at, ever. They never looked into that person as a suspect, but it has been kind of rumored that Karen's other brother, who wasn't Ron, drove a yellow El Camino. Man, this is just so intertwined. And for the record, I think El Caminos are super badass, but I think yellow is super ugly, so... Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So there were only two other suspects besides Paul ever publicly named. And one was David Longberry, the guy that made the pass at Mary that they had thought was writing the letters. Yeah. And he was later wanted for sexual assault on an 11 year old girl. Oh, shit. So they were onto something with him to begin with, Mm -hmm, which is gross. But he (laughs) ran from those charges and he was like a fugitive on the run for years. And then eventually the authorities found out that he had committed suicide like years before. Well, he did everyone a favor. Let's be real. Yeah. So the only other suspect that I've ever like even heard of besides Paul and David Longberry is William Massey, 
William Massey. So is that the son of the superintendent? Yes. A few of the letters were signed with his name and return address. But if he was the letter writer, why would he sign his own name? For sure, because he's dumb. Like, and this, I think this kind of, that could be totally a thing. I really do. There's like, you know, writing it and then just, you know, you're on autopilot. And if you remember an episode of I Love Lucy where Fred writes a thing to to Lucy from Ricky, it says, to Lucy, eternally yours, Fred. And he goes, Fred? And it's a whole episode about how he's trying to get the card back and stuff. But that's what I mean, though. Like when you're on autopilot, you Maybe. just kind of do what you do. Yeah. And if he did think his dad was having an affair with Mary, like it, it could make sense why he was so angry. Yeah. Yeah. But, okay. But that's it. I mean, that's literally it. Was there anything else that went into this kid being? No. That Like that's literally no. the theory is just because a couple yeah. letters were signed by him and it would make sense if he was mad at his dad for having an affair. But yeah, it would also make sense, too, for somebody who was trying to put the blame somewhere else to sign somebody else's name. I mean, that seems like a pretty obvious trick. Yes. So in the 1990s, the letters eventually slowed down and then they stopped completely. And that's literally all we know. So for like 25 years, this just happened. Yeah. And Paul may or may not be the letter writer. I don't know if we'll ever know for sure, because Paul has since passed away. So is Gordon Massey. So is Sheriff Radcliffe. Well, yeah. I mean, this is now, this is now a many years later so right so this may stay one of those creepy mysteries that we never find out this is a kind of a creepy thing and like there's so much to it like why did the letter writers zone in on this specific family you know like it was so broad and so general like i wonder if they were like literally like watching this happen and like mary was so like nonchalant about like meh whatever and moved on that if it pissed that person off or Anything like that. Yeah. Or if they had a personal connection to her. And so they were just sending the other letters just to make it look like she wasn't the only one being targeted. Totally. Or absolutely. My favorite theory, which is that there was hundreds of letter writers and that whenever anybody was mad at anybody in this town, they would just write a letter and sign at the circle of the letter writer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I like that one a lot. Yeah, that's my theory. That's just it's just the town thing. It's yeah, just, just to accuse people. Yeah, of things, just like, like when Jean is mad at Barbara, and she's like, "Well, I know Barbara's having an affair on her husband, so I'm gonna write a letter as a oh circle of a letter writer." And she writes and then... her letter and signs it like <laughs> because you know what I mean. How did this person know everybody's dirt? It had to be more than one person. Like it had to be a group of Bettys that got together <laughs> every week and was like, "What drama do you know? What drama do you know?" And they sat there and they drank lemonade and talked about everybody's drama. Or I like this a lot. Yeah. Or it had to be a bunch of people that were just like, "This is a great way to freak people out." <laughs> like, I like this a lot. I like this a whole lot. That's always been this... my theory is that it's a bunch of old ladies that get together and they talk about everybody's drama and they write letters because if you look at the letters on the internet, There's distinct differences between the handwriting in each letter. Like some look very similar, but they're still kind of different. I like this a lot. I really do. They're not all the same writing. And everybody's excuse for that is, well, the person was trying to disguise their handwriting. I'm like, or there was 12 bitches that used to get together and talk about everybody's shit. I like this a whole lot. This is very Shakespeare, you know, because there's a theory that Shakespeare was uh, the pen name for different writers. I like this a lot. Yeah. I like, I don't, I don't really know what the theory is. My theory is, I don't know that I'm going to have one 
because there's just so much going on that like I can't definitively say one. So I'm gonna go with yours. I like that one a lot. Yeah. This is just a this is just a club that people have, and they're just ruined. Yeah, it's like those <laughs> it's like those ladies that go around in the the purple with the hats. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 red hat society. Yeah, they always wear red hats and purple. It's like that club, but instead of like doing charitable things and making quilts for homeless people and stuff, these ladies were writing letters to everybody in town about their drama you know what else is about this i'm looking at the letters right now and you're absolutely right these Mm -hmm. are very weird blocked letters and huh that's really the only similarity though in like all the different letters that they've ever made public is that they're like block letters but they're they're so different from each other like you can look at two letters side by side and they don't even look like they're written by the same person no and some of these letters look like they're written on that like that thick lined kindergarten paper Mm -hmm. and some of them look like they're just like on the back of cards or just random you know notes or something like that that's another really funny thing about this story too when unsolved mysteries did an episode on this they got a letter from the circleville letter writer that told them to stay away from this story and called them el sickos and all this kind of weird stuff (laughs) and it literally like threatened unsolved mysteries to not do the story And it was like the weird years of Unsolved Mysteries where I had that other guy that took over after Robert Stack. And so he was saying, what's his name? Dennis Farina. And he was, that's right, right? Dennis Farina? Yeah, I don't know. I've never watched it, but you seem pretty confident. Yeah. And he goes, but we don't scare that easy. So here's the story. (laughs) They did it anyway. It was pretty That is pretty badass. Yeah, it was pretty funny. So, but nothing ever came of it, which Unsolved Mysteries solved everything in the 90s. So it's like in the 80s and... You know, so I don't know. They never solved it either. You know, looking at this writing, my first inclination is it probably is a woman's writing. I mean, you can't definitively tell that. I know, but it's very neat, huh? Some of them. It is. And then some of them look like chicken scratch. It looks like somebody wrote it with their left hand. Or they're non-dom. If they're left-handed, they wrote it with their right hand. No, there's definitely something up about this writing. Mm Mm-hmm. Like a bunch of ladies drank too much vodka in their lemonade when they were hanging out at their... (laughs) What do you think they called their club? Because it wouldn't have been Red Hats. It would have been like... The Circleville Club. The Letter Writing Club. Yeah. It it was something going on here. The YWCA. (laughs) 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 Yeah. So anyway, that's my theory. (laughs) This is one of the club events at the YWCA in the 70s. You could sign up for. It's great. Totally. Like the Rotary Club? Yeah, what, but what if it was like, you know, write letters to prisoners, you know, to make them feel better. And this, and some of these bitches were just like, nope, I got a better idea, Helen. Come yeah. with me. Yeah. And then some other lady was like, I'll make the tea. <laughs> and then someone else was like, I'll spill it. Yep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know it's iced tea, too. Yeah, you know it's iced tea, too. And it's sweet Gross. tea. Although this isn't in the South. Maybe it was just no. iced tea with lemon. I could see that. For sure. I don't know I what goes that. on in Ohio. I don't know what they're into. You know, in reading these two, I read them as if a woman probably wrote them. I don't, this doesn't seem like a, how men would speak, but. You know what it does seem like? It seems like how women would pretend men speak. Ooh, now you're thinking. So anyway, that's the Circleville letters, guys. So I guess if you know anybody who's gotten a Circleville letter. Oh, please come to our Instagram, From Crime to Crime. Yeah. If you know somebody who has 
got in a Circleville letter. Oh my gosh, how cool would that be? Because according to the legend of this story, thousands of letters went out. So it's like lots of people should have them. I know. We've talked to people who have like met people who like know Gary Ridgway or have at least interacted with him or, you know, other types of interesting folks. So if anybody has anything like this, I would love to see a yeah, like, like a picture of someone's personal collection not off of, off of the Google. Yeah, like I love listening to like our mom's generation all talk about like their connection to Richard Ramirez. When we were kids. Oh, like, yeah. Or before we were born. Oh, yeah. Everybody yeah. had an opinion about that. Everybody's sure. mom had like a story about like that summer and how horrible it was. and Totally. Super yeah. hot. That I mean, that's all we've ever heard. It was so hot that summer. You couldn't close your windows because you would die. Yep. Yeah. Your mom was pregnant. Yep. I know. My mom... My mom left her windows open because she refused to let anybody scare her like that. So, yeah. you know, and she lived in Orange County. <laughs> My mom had a peeping Tom at that time. That's right. That's yeah. right. And my dad chased down the street in his underwear or something. I don't remember the whole story, That's but it was kind of weird. It wasn't Richard Ramirez, though. But Didn't he have to like jump a fence, too? I don't remember. It was kind of a crazy story. We should ask mom to tell us one day when we do the Richard Ramirez episode. Yeah, that would be good. Yep. So, all right. Well, we are derailing quickly, so... We should get going. All right. Go to our Instagram at From Crime to Crime. We're we're starting to pump some stuff out on, uh, what's the other one called? TikTok. TikTok. So, oh, TikTok. Right, right. TikTok. So go there. Erica has t- stepped up and gone to the next level with some kind of video recording audio thing. It's Here's great. our problem with TikTok is that Grant doesn't know how to do it. Yeah, that's true. And I never am wearing makeup. Yeah. Those are two of our problems for sure. Yeah. Because I'm always like, oh, I should do a TikTok video. And then I'm like, oh, I don't have makeup on. Yeah. And I just don't think about it. So this is a great, great middle ground. Yeah. So anyways, don't forget to change your Amazon smile to DNA Dough Project. And one day I will. You know why that doesn't bother me anymore? Why is that? Because you don't order shit on Amazon. I know. Christine does. Yeah, but she even she doesn't really. Not as much. Like, you guys just don't use Amazon like most people do. We do try not to use Amazon. Christine has a very big vendetta against Jeff Bezos and doesn't want to give him any more money because she thinks he's mean and evil. Right. So we try really hard not to order off of Amazon. But, I mean, it's inevitable. We have to. It's a freaking two-day delivery. And sometimes it's the next day. It's, it's like it's a no-brainer. No, I know. But you guys spend, like, significantly less at Amazon than most people. That's true. I feel like that's why it doesn't bother me that much that you keep saying that you haven't changed it. Also, Christine has changed it. So if she orders anything on Amazon, you are Christine doing... did change it? Yes. Hang on, she's outside. Christine, did you change the Amazon Smile to the DNA Doe Project? Oh, she did. I know. Wow. Oh, well, she didn't tell me. You guys talk. Oh, she just told me that her mom did too. So, wow. Yeah. We're out here changing lives. Yep. Thanks, Annie. I mean, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Annie. I'm not changing lives, but you are, and that's that's what counts. Well, it's not me. It's DNA Doe Project that is. So. Well, yeah, but you told everyone to do it. Well, all right. We're off on a tangent. So yep. we'll see you guys next week for our next episode. All right. Love you, buddy. Glad you're feeling better. <laughs> love you, too. I'm glad you are, too. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye.